0: Well, good morning, whether you're at home or here in the church sanctuary, we come together on this Remembrance Sunday and we give thanks to God for his faithfulness to us, to our nation, indeed to our world, down through the generations. We welcome you if you're watching this online in some other format. Um, You're not a regular worshipper in the congregation, but I know there are now some people watching this online, so we welcome you. And we also welcome visitors here, and we pray that wherever we are and whoever we are, we may know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship and companionship of the Holy Spirit. We were given instructions, advice, not to have a traditional Remembrance Sunday service, so that this won't be that. Um, However, I know certainly as a congregation here, there will be those who would want to have a particular act of remembrance and so during this week at our devotionals on tuesday and on wednesday and on thursday and an additional one which we're going to have on wednesday there will be the theme will be remembrance and we will have our acts of remembrance at that Particularly on wednesday when we're open the 11th day of the 11th month and at the 11th hour we'll have an act of remembrance here in the church um, and so i'd encourage you to to remember that and if you're able to join with us tuesday Churches open between 10 and 12, our acts of devotional acts are half 10 and half 11. Wednesday evening open between 7 and 9 and act, some sort of devotional act, about half past 7. On Wednesday, as I say, we'll be open between 10 and 12, we'll have our act of remembrance at 11. And on Thursday, again, open between 10 and 12 and our acts of remembrance. And so just encourage you that if you are able to join with us during this week of remembrance, then there will be the opportunity to do that in a more, what we might be said, a more traditional format. However, we are thankful to God for his faithfulness. We see before us on the communion table our wreaths and our reminder, the Book of Remembrance, in our own congregation of those who gave their lives, particularly in the First World War, is laid before us. And we remember today those who give their lives on the front line of the services within our country, both in the National Health Service and in the various other vital facilities that are provided for us. We are very thankful and indebted to all those who stand on the front line and offer themselves for our freedoms and for our well-being let's pray together god our father as we gather on this remembrance sunday in these very strange unusual times we thank you that we can take time out from our lives and from all the noise whether it be from the united states of america and what's going on there or the situation with COVID, or everything else here, we thank you that we can take time out from all of that and to be still in your presence. The eternal God, the rock of ages, the great I Am. And as we are still in our homes, or here in the sanctuary, as we are still in our hearts... We recall that it was on this day that you appeared to the disciples and that you appeared to doubting Thomas. We read in John's Gospel, a week later, the disciples were in the house again, the upper room, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And as those who aren't in that upper room, And don't see you physically, yet we come as those who have seen and believed that Lord Jesus Christ, you are the resurrection and the life. And so, Holy Spirit, fill our hearts, the sanctuary of our lives, with your presence, we pray. Like Thomas, forgive us for our doubts and unbelief. And like him, may we know afresh what it is to acknowledge you as Lord and as God. And so, Jesus, stand among us in your risen power. And may this time of worship be indeed a hallowed hour. For your name's sake. Amen. This past week has been a week of prayer for International Scripture Union. You know, we have many connections with SU in our own congregation, and we have a particular connection with international scene, with Ukraine, with Tajikistan, and with the workers in St. Petersburg, with Leningrad in Russia. And so particularly at our devotionals this week, we were remembering that. Elizabeth, my wife, was involved very much, and I think she was about six prayer meetings on Zoom, um, supporting and remembering the different wider needs of Eshu. And so we thought this morning, as our opening act of congregational singing, although we can't sing but hear congregational singing, we're going to hear a very moving compilation taken from Portugal, from workers with Eshu and other friends who have joined with them to sing a well-known hymn, he lives, he lives. He asks me why, how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. And we'll see that now. And I trust we found that moving as we joined with our brothers and sisters in Christ in Portugal to celebrate the truth that Jesus Christ is alive. And so may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to God, our rock and our redeemer. I'm going to read to you at the beginning, just um, part of a pastoral letter in a church magazine. It'll be interesting if you could work out when it was written. It wasn't written this year, I can tell you that, because apart from anything else, it doesn't mention COVID. So, um, you know, that would be, that's pretty a clue that it's not this year. But the starts, the, the beginning of the thing, I'll just read it to you. The story is told of the young doctor who had just begun to practice in a small village. He was naturally apprehensive as he made his way to the surgery and hoped that his first patient would be someone whose complaint would be easy to diagnose. In the event, the first person through the door was an old man who described at some length the symptoms of his condition before pausing to receive the doctor's verdict. No obvious diagnosis came to mind. A thorough examination still left him with no clue as to what the trouble was. So in desperation, the young doctor asked him if he had by any chance suffered from these symptoms before. Oh, yes, said the man, many a time. Well, said the doctor, you have it again. And then the writer goes on to say, our society is sick. And he catalogues a whole big list of daily headlines. And he says, the patient is clearly unwell, but what is the matter? And then he goes on, late the other evening in BBC Two, members of the chattering classes, a sociologist, a newspaper, newspaper columnist, a philosopher, and a political commentator among them, but no representative of the church, met together to debate the ills which afflict us. From their cushioned armchairs, a diagnosis was reached four interacting factors had contributed to our social malaise. The breakdown of family life resulting in soaring numbers of one-parent families, the absence of an agreed moral code, the deification of the market and the sacrifice of jobs and the altar of market forces, and the consequent emergence of an underclass of unemployed in which the drug culture thrived. Together they had combined to form a killer mix a killer mix that Frank Fields, a former chairman of the Common Social Security Committee, called a social anthrax, which will have a deadly effect on our society for a very long time to come. And then he goes on. I wonder what year you think this pastoral letter was written. Last year, 2019, or perhaps 2009, or perhaps 2000. Well, actually, it was written in November 1993, 27 years ago. It's a pastoral letter from David Easton, the minister at that time of Burnside Parish Church. And yet, in some ways, it's rather ironic that 27 years later, and laying aside, if we possibly can for a moment, COVID, many of the same issues, the same concerns, the same malaise that afflicts not just our society, but largely the Western world, Well, has anything much changed? If anything, perhaps the malaise has got worse. And there's certainly no doubt about it that COVID has brought about and has brought to the surface many of the social concerns that were mentioned all those years ago. And it's probably quite right there for the Remembrance Sunday, when we do think, in particular this period of remembrance, when we do think of those who gave our lives and who were willing to sacrifice their lives for our freedoms, for our liberties, for all the things that we so much take for granted, that we do reflect on just our society and the concerns that we should have and that we may well have for it. And so this morning, we're going to take some time looking at the book of Lamentations. There you are, cheer you up and remember on Sunday. We're going to look at the book of Lamentations. And we're looking at it because it's a lament. The dictionary defines a lament as to utter grief and outcries, to wail, to mourn, and to deplore. Something cheery for a drift day like this. But it's in the Bible. The book of Lamentations is in the Bible. It's found just right on after the book of Jeremiah because the book of Lamentations is ascribed to Jeremiah, the prophet, one of the prophets of Israel, whose job was to speak to Judah and to warn them of God's judgment and his displeasure at the attempts that Judah had done to try and, in one sense, hold to a form of religion, but deny its power. And the lament, which is written and recorded for us here, the lament, perhaps, of Jeremiah himself, who, tradition has it, lived through the defeat of Jerusalem, the collapse of that city, perhaps was left there before he neither died there or was taken himself ultimately off into exile. This lament, this outcry, this wail of sorrow speaks of someone's heart broken over the state of his country. It begins, and I think the screen's going to show us the words. We're not obviously going to be to read the whole thing. It begins like this in Lamentations chapter 1 and verse 1. How deserted lies the city, once so full of people. How like a widow is she, who once was great among the nations. She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Bitterly she weeps at night. Tears are on her cheeks. The prophet there is describing Jerusalem, the holy city, that Zion that was built, that city set upon the hill, that Solomon had built the temple and had built a beautiful palace and had stood there as a beacon of light and hope to the nations round about, now was desolate. The walls were broken down. The temple had been desecrated. The large percentage of the population had either been killed or taken off into exile. The place was a mess. And Jeremiah is a witness to that, in particular how once what was great among the nations, what was queen upon the provinces, has now become a slave, is now deserted, and weeps at night. We all accumulate over in life memories. And one of the memories which I think I'll accumulate and have till the day I die will be the day I walked down the street, way back, I reckon it's March the 23rd this year, the day after Boris got up, went to television and told us all to stay at home, me of course being a bit of a lawbreaker, I was walking down the street to get my paper, to be able to read and hear what was going on. And it was eerie. The silence was eerie. The roads were empty. The shops, the vast majority of the shops were shut. Nobody, a very few people, apart from people like myself, waiting get a paper or a pint of milk, were going about. And that period, not now of course, but that period, those days, those early days, that week or so, the first few weeks anyway, of lockdown where there was that stillness. There was no planes in the sky. There was no traffic. We can hear the motorway from our back garden. And there was no noise of traffic from the motorway. There was a silence. And in many ways, it was a lovely silence, a beautiful silence. Creation was resting and being refreshed for the bountiful spring that it produced. But also it was an eerie silence because the biz and activity of life had been removed from us. And how it had been removed? Well, not by armies invading our city, thank God, but from a little virus all the might of Western civilization ground to halt before a little bulk. And as Jeremiah looked over a city and saw the evidence of that. And as we look over our nation and see the evidence of that. Then surely we lament. We have become slaves to the market forces. Which are at the moment willing to lend us large sums of money. Another 40 odd billion for the furlough scheme till March. But someday we'll need to be paid back. We are under restrictions, not as much as our friends down south, but nonetheless under restrictions, slaves in a sense to what the state feels is appropriate to do or not do. Our nation, which was once great, is now a little insignificant island stuck off the European continent, sandwiched between the European Union and the, West and the United States of America. And that is not all. You know the social malaise, the unemployment. The I was talking to somebody who I have contact with just this past week who's just waiting tomorrow to hear whether he's lost his job or not. Redundancy. Unemployment. And all the evidence that's been brought to the surface, perhaps through this COVID crisis of a sick society. There's a lament to be sung. And there's sorrow to be expressed. And you'll need to read the whole book later on. It's not too big, so you'll be able to do it in the afternoon very easily within less than an hour but but jeremiah doesn't distance himself and it's perhaps tempting for us perhaps to distance ourselves and think that well we are not particularly part of all these problems one of the things of course which we're one of the words which has become very uh, part of our vocabulary now it's no longer not just lockdown but the bubble what bubble do you belong to who's in your bubble that means you know, your family, or perhaps someone who's on their own, who's vulnerable, and they're part of your little bubble. You can, to a degree, still socialize and meet together, not in our homes, but in a proper, appropriate ways, perhaps. But nonetheless, that's where you're locked in, in a sense, and that's your place of security, and that's where you find your, your social connections, that bubble. But the problem is that that bubble can lock us out from anybody or anything Else we become caught up with just our own immediate concerns. Jeremiah wasn't like that. He could have said, well, I told you so. He could have said, I warned you that this was going to be this, what was going to happen. He could have done all of that, but no, he doesn't. Later on in chapter 1, he says, See, Lord, how distressed I am. I am in torment within, in my heart I am disturbed, for I have been most rebellious. Outside the sword bereaves, inside there is only death. He speaks about his own awareness of his own feelings, of his own shortcomings, that he's not without responsibility. He's not doing a pilot and washing his hands and standing back and say, Well, it's everybody else's fault, but not mine. And because of that, he can then say, this, verse 11 of chapter 2. My ails eyes fail from weeping. I am in torment within. My heart is poured out on the ground because my people are destroyed. Because children and infants faint in the streets of the city. He is genuinely heartbroken about what he sees going on round about And there's no place for Christians to stand aside. There's no place for Christians to retreat into a bubble of self-protection and complacency. There's no place for Christians to point the finger and say, well, I follow the rules, it's all these folk who don't. That's sinful. But there is the calling of Christians to be salt and light. To be harbingers of the kingdom. To be servants of the Prince of Peace. To be those who have time for others. And who stand alongside the victims of this crisis. Even if we can't do that in a physical, tangible sense for very obvious reasons. In spirit, by phone, by text and in other forms of communication. We can stand with others. And we share with that cry of sorrow over the vulnerable, over the children, over the families that struggle, over the unemployed, over those who don't know whether tomorrow's job is still going to be there and don't know whether they've got the funds to survive into another week. Over all those who, just on the front line, are offering themselves up for our protection and for the maintenance of the basic facilities of society, we stand with them and we weep because we see our country and the world in such need. Disaster has struck, deep sorrow is expressed. And also, in this lament, there's our honest reflection of the fact that the church has failed. Verse 14 of chapter 2. The visions of your prophets were false and worthless. They did not expose your sin to ward off your captivity. The prophecies they gave you were false and misleading. Listening to the, I do listen to the radio quite a wee bit. That's a lot better, many ways, than the television. And certainly, over the last ten years or more, various warnings were given at regular times. Various scientists and medical experts and everything else, various warnings were given about the fact that some form of pandemic was due to occur. There was SARS and there was other things back in the earlier part, back in the 2000s, that were just a foretaste of what was going to happen. And and these warnings were given. One has to say, why is it then that we were so ill-prepared? Why was it that when the Prime Minister asked the Cabinet Secretary to get the file to to tell him and others what they should do when they got the file, they found there was hardly anything in it? Was it because it was cheaper just to forget, to ignore, to not bother? No doubt eventually an inquiry will explore all of that. warnings were given, not many... He did, including not many in the health services or indeed in the scientific profession, who are now, of course, on the forefront of the media. Well, here, Jeremiah warns and tells us that God's servants, the prophets, had failed in the responsibility to give warnings. That's very true. If you know the story of Jeremiah, he was ridiculed by other so-called professionals who said, what are you going on about? Everything's fine. If we do this or do that, if we play this country off against another country, if we enter into power politics, or if we just simply shut down and ignore it and say it wouldn't happen here, everything will be fine. Peace, peace, where there was no peace. And Jeremiah challenges and says, well, these prophets were false and worthless. They didn't expose the problem. They didn't expose the sin to ward off their captivity. The prophecies they gave were false and misleading. And perhaps we have to be honest as Christians and certainly as a church, we too have failed. And I don't just mean those who are obviously liberal in their theology. It's very easy to point at the liberal church and say, well, of course they do who jumped in the bed with the spirit of the age and has just welcomed everything. And with due respect to you, Evan, one just needs to look at the Church of the United States of America. The Evangelical Church of the United States of America. But also to the church here, which either perhaps offered kingdom now, forgetting, of course, that we live in the light of the kingdom to come, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And that particularly would be true of the charismatic side of the church. Or from the more my background, which preached its truth, but a bit like me on this pulpit, you know, it kind of hangs like a cloud six feet above every, day, every day's life. And it's all very true, and it's all very orthodox. But what does it actually mean as I live tomorrow in my work? Or as I face the present crisis? floats about. We too have to confess, I have to confess, that we have failed our nation. And we have not been true and always applied what God's word has to say. And Jeremiah, however, through all these faults and failings and through all these obvious problems also recognizes the sovereignty of God. Verse 17. The Lord has done what He planned. He has fulfilled His word, which He decreed long ago. He has overthrown you without pity. He has let the enemy gloat over you. He's exalted the horn of your foes. There is, as believers, a statement of faith that God is sovereign. Even through the complexities and often great mysteries of life. And and there are great mysteries. And indeed it's a falsehood to claim that we don't accept that there are great mysteries. That we have all the answers and come away with some simplistic and ultimately futile response to that. There are mysteries to life. Why? Why? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But God is Sovereign. One of the greatest witnesses of that in my own personal life was the witness of my parents and my in-laws. As my family faced cancer and all the situation, my dad retires, own, both of them take cancer, and all the story that many of you know, were my mother-in-law, my father-in-law, godly couple, blighted with dementia, where she didn't even recognize her own husband, didn't know her own grandchildren. course there are mysteries of life the faith leads us into the valley of the shadow but the promise is but I am with you and God's sovereignty is in the midst of that you know there's not many hymns that speak of that nowadays and so I'm going to read you the hymn if we were in church in full service I'd be getting somebody to play this probably an organ William Cowper's hymn Written away back over 200 years ago, God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence he hides a smiling face. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter. And he will make it plain. The Lord has done what he planned. He has fulfilled his word, which he decreed long ago. That takes faith. But the calling of God's people, the kingdom people, in any time, in any setting, in any generation, is to be a people of faith. And that's because, and we're moving on very quickly, he alone can save. These verses in chapter 3, verse 31. For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love, for he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. The Lord is good, verse 25, to those whose hope is in him. To the one who seeks him, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Because of the great love of the Lord, we are not consumed. Verse 22, for his compassions never fail. They are you every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. We are desperately waiting for a vaccine, aren't we? Um, I saw in the paper yesterday that when they rolled this vaccine out at the beginning of the year, it just shows the state we're in. They're going to roll out and, first of all, tell us that it only works about 50% of the time. They're going to tell us that, actually, there are health risks for some people and, actually, if you're reasonably hell and hearty, not to take it. <laughs> and, of course, now, with this breakout of this thing in Denmark, which is very serious, this mink farm thing, have you heard that? That's very serious, very serious. Obviously, it's a very virulent form, a mutation, then it won't even work. God alone is the hope of our nation and the hope of our world. So often we manage to fix one problem, doesn't it? It's a bit like a leak, you know, <laughs> maybe you've got an old house and, and or old wiring or old pipes and you get a wee leak and you sort it there and what happens? The next minute that bit of wiring or that bit of pipe pops out and it starts leaking or, or shorting or whatever it is, you know? And we do, rightly so as human beings, access to science and technology, we seek to fix one thing. But how often in human history, as we fix one thing, it itself unwittingly causes something else. No vaccine, no human response is perfect and will fulfill and meet every need or challenge or crisis. No cure for the world's ills is ever perfectly an answer. And for the Christian, no answer can be sought or accepted without recognition that God alone can save. For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is unfailing love, for he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. God alone can save. And lastly, well, how do we access that? Well, verse 40 of the very same chapter. Let us examine our ways and test them and let us return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and our hands to God in heaven and say, we have sinned and rebelled and you have not forgiven. There will be a public inquiry once this is all over. There will be, I trust, an honest assessment of how things have gone and lessons to be learned. If it's anything like the public inquiry that followed the Iraq war, there's going to be some red faces and some very embarrassing revelations. We need to be those who are willing to accept responsibility, to face up to realities and deal with them. That's why we need that endurance that we're speaking about last Sunday. That's why we need the mind of Christ. That's why we need to break out of a lockdown mentality that causes us just simply to think of ourselves and our own kith and kin and not to look out and see and begin in some sort of way to understand and to stand with the rest of the world. We need to be that kingdom people, radically different, breaking out of the mold and showing that we are a people first and phobus know what it is to say i'm sorry for i have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god how is it that mutation has appeared in denmark well, it's appeared in a mink farm Do you know that minks were farmed still for their pelts then you got a mink coat you will be hiding that way or spraying fumigation over it no 17 million animals are now being slaughtered in Denmark, the God who knows how a little sparrow falls from the tree do you not think he's troubled. that our use and abuse of nature has yet again brought a plague p- upon us. And then what about the thousands of babies every year in this country who are killed? Before they're born. Not because of incest or rape or other terrible deformities, but it's another form of contraception. Do you think God's happy? Do you think he doesn't bother? And we as God's people cannot wash our hands. We have to examine our ways and test them, and return to the Lord, to say sorry. We have sinned, and rebelled, and we need your forgiveness. At the very end of that pastoral letter 27 years ago, David Easton quotes the words of the prophet Zephaniah, who writes that we shall heed God's call to, quote, to seek righteousness and seek humility. And he goes on to say both together and not one at the expense of the other in order that we might be a healing force in the world. And he goes on to say we should not imagine that society's ill can be cured by the various other things that might well be done, important things. We're not saying that there aren't things that shouldn't be done in terms of law and everything else. Moral transformation and spiritual renewal ultimately are the work of the Spirit of God, hence the need for humility expressed in prayer, which confesses our complicity in the sins of society, cries to God to have mercy on us all, and looks to him to restore the years which the locusts have eaten. That surely, he says, finally, is the first thing which the church must do. The need for humility expressed in prayer which confesses our complicity in the sins of society cries to God to have mercy on us all and looks to him to restore the years which the locusts have eaten. That surely is the first thing which the church must do. If that was true 27 years ago my friends it's even truer today. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And thanks be to God. In the midst of that lament, in the midst of the prophet identifying with and feeling within his own being, and you can read and see that that's the case as you read it for yourself, that sorrow, that grief, and that concern, that in the midst of that he writes these words, which I mentioned earlier, and which we're going to hear sung in a minute, where he writes in verse 22 of chapter 3, Because of the Lord's great love we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are you every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. Let's hear that sung together now on the screen. God, our Father, we do thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you in the midst of that lament that Jeremiah cried out about, his own brokenness, his own sorrow, his own grief over the plight of his nation. We thank you in the midst of that. There is that testimony that your love, the Lord's great love, is you every morning. We thank you that in Jesus Christ, you do not deal with us as our sins deserve. We thank you that in Jesus Christ, all that goes on in the world is ultimately going to be part and is part of your sovereign purposes. For your kingdom, we pray, will come in glory and in power. A you heaven and a you earth where there will no more sorrow or crying or tears or grief for there will be no more death. And where your people ransomed and healed and restored and forgiven will be with you for eternity. For that hope of heaven and for the reality of your presence in the midst of the mysteries of life. We give you thanks. And we ask that in these challenging days, both in our own conduct and our concern for others, expressed in a whole host of ways we can still do even with lockdown and restrictions, And in your church's stance and calling and conduct within our society, your word might be heard. A call to our nation to examine our ways and to test ourselves and to return to the Lord. And to lift up our hearts and our hands to God in heaven and say, we have sinned and rebelled. We pray that for our own nation. We pray that for the United States of America as it seeks to move on out of this very divisive election period. We pray for leaders who carry that weight of responsibility for godly wisdom and grace and understanding. So we pray for ourselves. That we might live in the light of the sacrifice of many for our freedoms. That as believers we might live in the light of the sacrifice Lord Jesus Christ. Who hung on that cross and who cried out as he entered into the lostness of humanity. My God, my God, why have you forsaken? But who also stood amongst the disciples and said. Peace. Be with you. And now may the peace of God which does pass all human understanding. Keep our hearts and minds fixed in the love and in the knowledge of him. And may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit rest upon us and journey with us this Remembrance Sunday and for evermore. Amen.